So I can connect with some of you that are coughing your way through worship. Um, I have more DayQuil in me than is probably legal. Um, so I am not responsible for anything that comes out of my mouth tonight. Um, but we are beginning this new journey, so will I. And what we are hoping to do is as a community, I don't know if you sense it or those around you have sensed it, but God is on the move. And God is, God is in, in our midst and is preparing us to, to move outward. The, the problem with that is, is it can't just be a few of us. And it can't be something where we all clap and applaud as that takes place. It has to be something that is a surrender of our wills. That in the midst of the surrender of our wills, we're all together at a point where we have already joined in with what God is doing. And that is what we're calling the So Will I moment. So, so Will I is a song that was created by Hillsong United. Um, and, and the idea behind the song is, is simply that God, if you chose surrender, then so will I. God, if, if you chose to give your life to love them, then so will I. It's the idea that it's a surrender of my will. And we're just taking the song and, and kind of rallying around it as a creative point to remember that we're on mission, to remember the season we're leaning into and where God's leading us forward. The idea that if, if the stars were made to worship, then so will I. That, that if the mountains bow in reverence to you, God, then so will I. That if the oceans roar your greatness, then so will I. That if everything exists for one purpose to lift you high, then so will I. That that statement, those declarations that we're going to make, by the way, if you don't like that song, I got some bad news for you. You're going to hear it every single week for about six weeks. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's going to be a long journey for some of you. But the idea is that it's a collective surrender to what God is doing. And it's a collective surrender from the standpoint of the season we are moving into as a church, there is going to be surrender that is required from all of us. There is going to be so will I moments that are required from all of us. And so what we want to do is take this time on the front side before we lean into where we're heading, going, God, we want to be prepared. We want our souls. We want individually to be ready to live lives of surrender um, so that collectively we can step out and move. Kind of, kind of a big idea of where we're heading today is this idea of worship. That the, the purpose of our lives, the purpose of, of our time on the planet is to make much of God. The, the reason we're here is to worship. And the goal of what we're going to do as we branch out is that we are taking the fire of worship that God has lit in us and we are taking that outward to communities that don't have it. And by when I say that, don't, don't miss what I'm saying. I'm not talking about going into a community and saying, well, there's churches there, but they're not worshiping. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about that we are going to go and plant ourselves in new spaces and in new ways for the purpose of seeing worship rise up from people who right now don't even know they need to worship Almighty God. That we believe we've got a mission as a church 
But it's going to take all of us, and it's going to take each of us collectively, individually saying, so will I. God, if you're moving there, then so will I. God, if you're calling me to that surrender, then so will I. God, if you're calling me to my finances, so will I. God, if you're calling me to my time, so will I. If you're calling me to my comfort, then God, it's yours. That God, we're on mission for you because you're you're up to something and we're going to be a part. And we're just going to, I apologize if this seems basic, but we need to lay a foundation tonight. We need to lay a foundation for where we're heading. And, and, and so we're going to kind of do a Bible overview, if you like, um, of sorts. But if you go to the end of the book in Revelation chapter 4, there's a scene in heaven. And within that scene in heaven, um, it captures it this way, that whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him, who sits on the throne, that would be Almighty God who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders, now the 24 elders, um, depending on on what stream you're in and how you interpret this, some people say that it's Israel, some people say it's Israel and the church, some people say it's just the church. Uh, Here's how I want to coin it tonight. It's it's human leadership. It's human leadership of what God's been about, and, and, and they fall down before God. The, the, the human leaders are in a postrate of surrender. This is, this is the end of the story. This is Revelation, the end of the book. And what you get at the end of the book is a picture of a throne room where human leadership that have been about what God is about are, are surrendered before God. Who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy. You are worthy. What's happening at the end of the book is worship of God. And maybe the best way as we kind of lean backwards is is the reality uh, that we live in, that we exist to bring worth to God. And anything less than that is missing what we were created for. That that you exist, you are on planet earth today to bring worth and value to almighty God. That that that's your purpose here today. That, That you are first and foremost a worshiper. And that's why we've chosen this song that declares in, in multiple ways, but it so clearly states that if the stars were made to worship, then so will I. And, and we've unashamedly created t-shirts you can buy in the lobby for $10 tonight. And, and those t-shirts, we tried to design some stuff to remind us that, that this one in particular is the moon, that if the stars were made to worship, then so will I. There's another one that, that the mountains roar your greatness, so will I. That the, that the oceans roar your greatness, sorry, the mountains bow in reverence. And they're created and designed around this idea that we need reminders of why we're here and we're here to worship. That your life is at its best when it is lived in a posture of worship. That wherever you are found doing whatever it is that God has you doing on the planet, what should be found where you are is worship of Almighty God. Worship of this God who is, as Revelation puts it, worthy. And all the way through Scripture, there's this rhythm we're going to look at. And the rhythm is this. The rhythm of worship is this, that God speaks 
and there is an appropriate response. And here's what I mean. If you go to the beginning of the book, so Revelation is the end. We're going to jump back now to Genesis chapter 1. It says, and in the beginning, God, very, very first verse of the Bible, all the way at the front of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. The earth was chaos. The, 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 all that existed was chaos. And notice who's there. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So there is chaos and God is there. And what God is about to do is bring worship out of the chaos. And, and I believe that this is a picture of our lives. That what God does with us is God meets us, God hovers over our lives, God rescues us, and what comes out of that is this worship to Him. The same as at the beginning when He hovers over the waters, next verse, says, and God said, so now God speaks. So remember, God speaks and there's an appropriate response. So, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So God says, let there be light. He speaks. And the next thing that happens is there's an appropriate response for what God has spoken. So God says, let there be light. And light shows up. And then on top of that, God saw that the light was good. So now God not only is the one who speaks and, and an appropriate response comes out of it, but God is also the judge of the appropriate response. So, so in this case then, and God saw that the light was good. It was functional. It was what it was designed to be. Maybe just something to catch in our worship. We don't get to decide what an appropriate response is. God determines the appropriate response. That when God speaks and God calls to us, that the response that comes out of that, that response, he is the judge of if it's appropriate as worship or not. That we don't get to set the parameters of what that's like. And so God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Next verse. And so this rhythm then that God speaks, and there's an appropriate response, carries on throughout Genesis. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. So God said it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Next verse. And God said, so here God speaks again, and then there's going to be an appropriate response. Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place, and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered the seas and water, gathered the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So there is, God speaks, and there's an appropriate response. There may be no better definition of worship than God speaks, and there's a response. God speaks, and there's a response. And so you get this rhythm all the way through creation. And if you stop and just think for a moment what's happening here, it was chaos before, and coming out of the chaos now are these stars. Is this water, is this sky, is this light, is this day, is this night? And all of it is looking back and pointing back to who? To God. It's the invisible God becoming visible. It's the invisible God becoming tangible that you could look at a star and see the greatness of Almighty God. 
that you could capture in the ocean the essence of the power of God. That, that when you see creation, it was designed with, with a purpose in mind of pointing back and reflecting back the creator's vastness. That, that those of you that love to be in nature, and when you're in nature, you go, man, it's almost like God is speaking. Yes, God is screaming. You know why? Because nature itself worships God. Nature itself is a signpost to God. Nature itself is a beacon. It is an act of worship back to its creator. And, and so all the way through this, you get this rhythm of God speaks and there's an appropriate response. And then it gets down to verse 26 in Genesis 1. It says, then God said, then God said, so God speaks again, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God now creates humanity. And in creating humanity, he's very, very specific that when you look at another human being, you should be able to see the very reflection of God. That you should be able to see the characteristics and essence of God himself. That within each other, we should be able to see a mirror image reflection of God. That, that your life would be a beacon post of worship. That, that when you move in the spaces that God has you and you move into the jobs and you use the skills that God has given you, that what is found there is in the midst of those skills, you are a reflection of God himself. That worship actually takes place because you showed up in that space. It carries on. And God blessed them. So God speaks again. God blessed them and said to them. So, so God speaks and there's always an appropriate response. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So, so God speaks and he says, have babies and be caretakers. So, so the appropriate response then for humanity is what? Have babies and be caretakers. Uh, the, the appropriate response in this moment is that we would take care of God's creation. That we would rule over it. Have you ever met someone who, um, just by nature, they're so connected to, to the animal kingdom that when an animal is abused, you might as well be abusing them? You ever met somebody like my daughter Sierra is this way. If she sees an animal um, being hurt or abused, she instantly, instantly cringes, instantly feels pain. And the reason for that is, all the way back at the beginning, we were to be, when the world was right and the world's in order, we're to be caretakers over it. So instantly inside of her, there's this moment going, this isn't right. We were created for more. And the correct, the correct reality that man's supposed to live in is that now when we reflect the image of God well, what we're actually doing when worship exists, we're actually caretakers over what he's given and what he's created. That that is an act of worship. That having babies is an act of worship. Right? Be fruitful and increase in number. That God speaks and there's an appropriate response. This rhythm carries on all the way through scripture, by the way. 
that God speaks and there's an appropriate response. If you, if you carry on in the story, you get to Genesis chapter 3 and you know that God actually gives the humans a choice, which by the way, God will never demand your worship. God will never force you to worship him. It's a choice. And the reason it's a choice is love requires a choice. And for you to love God is to choose worship of God. For you to love God is for you to choose that I'm going to worship him and not myself. That I'm going to worship something greater than myself. And so in Genesis chapter 3, he gives him a choice. He says, hey, don't eat of the tree. That's the only thing you can't have. I've given you everything else. Just don't do that one thing. And it's a moment when misplaced worship happens and, and the humans decide that they are going to be like God, that they are going to be God in their worlds, they're going to control their worlds. And what happens is their misplaced worship is they take it on for themselves. And in the midst of taking it on for themselves, they step away from worship of God. And then scripture unfolds from that point. You get to Genesis chapter 6. And there's this guy named Noah. You might have heard of Noah. Noah built a big old boat, right? And, and God shows up to Noah and he goes, hey, Noah, I want you to build a big old boat. What is the appropriate response if God shows up in your world and says, build a big old boat? Build a big old boat, right? That's the appropriate response. And so Noah builds a big boat. And you carry on just a few chapters later and you get to a guy named Abraham. And God comes to Abraham and he says, hey, Abraham, he goes, I want to bless you. I'm going to make your descendants like the stars. And Abraham's getting old and he's going, man, I know you said that, God, but I'm going to help you out. That's misplaced worship. When we don't trust God, it's misplaced worship. When we don't follow, if he says, trust him and I'll give you a baby, then I need to trust him and he'll give me the baby, right? But, but Abraham goes, okay, I trust you, God, but I'm going to help you out. That's misplaced worship. And so then he decides to sleep with his, um, his wife's servant and, and has a child that way. And God goes, that's not my plan. That's not what I told you was going to happen. And so then he trusts him and, and Isaac is born. And the story unfolds and continues. You get to Joseph and Joseph ends up in Egypt and, and over here is Jacob, who is Joseph's dad. And there's a famine where they are. And Joseph, because it knew the famine was coming because of God, stores up a whole bunch of food. And in the end, Jacob comes up to where Joseph is and their family grows so large that it becomes a nation. And as a nation, then Egypt, they're living in Egypt. The Egyptians begin to oppress them and the Egyptians begin to hold them down. And the Egyptians specifically, specifically oppress them in such a way that it's so bad that they cry out to God and God decides that he's going to show up and he's going to talk to a guy named Moses. And when he shows up and talks to Moses, what God tells Moses is, I'm going to use you to set my people free so that they can go and worship me. Why? Because worship wasn't happening and we were designed for worship. God will always pursue us to worship him. And so God pursues him and he takes Moses and he goes, hey, Moses. So he speaks. He goes, Moses, you need to go set my people free. What's the appropriate response for Moses? Go set my people free. And, and so Moses then, after a long conversation, goes and sets his people free. And they end up, two million people, two million people end up walking in the desert. Two million people walking in the desert following a cloud. 
And where the cloud goes, these people are going to go. And as they're leaving, it says that Pharaoh decides that he's not okay with that. And the Egyptians begin to pursue them. And the Egyptians, when they pursue them, you need to know that what the Egyptians were using were the mass weapons of destruction of the day. They're using the best chariots and the best horsemen. And they are chasing down these two million people. And it's in this moment where they're getting chased down that this takes place. And Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out. Two million people were terrified in the desert, and they cry out to God. They said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us, what? Serve the Egyptians. Let us worship who? The Egyptians. Let us worship them. We told you this. You know that God is zealous and jealous for your worship. And God will do whatever it takes to move you from where you are today. If you're not worshiping him, he will move you from where you are today to worship him. Because anything less is second. Man, he'll make you lose jobs You'll lose your house. You might lose your family. I'm not saying he makes all that happen, but I tell you what, he will do whatever he needs to to get your attention that you worship him because you were created for something so much bigger. And in this case, he takes two million people, two million lives, and they're in a desert, and they're in crisis. Why? Because he needs to lead them to what? Worship of him. Because worship matters that much to God. Because for you to do anything less is to fall short of being human. As human, the number one role of a human is to worship Almighty God. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians and to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, you will see the deliverance of the Lord You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Next verse. Then the Lord said to Moses, God speaks. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go after them, and I will what? I will gain glory. Through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. I will gain glory. The whole thing is about the glory and the worship of God. The whole reason it all exists is that he would be made much of. That, that your life, that my life, that our life, that the collective whole of the church, that everything we do would be a beacon and a signpost to him. That he would gain glory. And the, the end of this story is that Moses raises his hand and the wind comes and the sea separates. And two million people walk through on dry land. It's a miracle. But it's a miracle that's intentional because it leads to worship. Did you know that you are a miracle? 
And the reason you're a miracle is you are to lead to worship. That God has performed a miracle in you for the reason that you would in turn turn around and you would declare worship to him. That your life, your life, your life would be about making much of him everywhere you're found. The, the story continues all the way through scripture. There's this God speaks and we respond. God speaks and we respond. God speaks and we respond. Do you know that in creation, the only people that have a choice are who? The humans. The stars are called to be and they're there and they put God on display. But when it comes to humans, when it comes to humans, we have a choice. You have a choice. We, we get to choose what we will worship. We get to choose what we will be beacons for. And as scripture continues and you get all the way down to Acts, which is about three quarters of the way through, when you get to Acts, um, it's talking specifically to um, the disciples as, as they were about to take off. And from there they plant churches. But, but notice what it's, the call on them is. But you will receive power when you, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and so the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. And now a witness in, in the truest form is someone who has seen something and they bear witness to it. I've maybe stretched out a little bit today for the sake of this idea of worship that, that what they were called to was to reflect they were called to reflect outward what they'd been around in the person of Jesus and reflect outward God himself to everyone they met. Reflect the story of the crucifixion, the story of the resurrection, and they were to propel that outward to everybody, everybody they met. The, the call on the church, the call on those that would call themselves followers of Jesus is that as you walk out your life, what your life becomes is a reflection, a witness to the very things of God. That your life would become an act of worship. That you would become a beacon, a signpost to all those that follow you. To all those who come alongside you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this way. So whether you eat or drink... Which that's fine, right? Eat or drink, like we get that. Like if I'm sitting down and I'm eating something or I'm having a drink, like that's, that's pretty narrow. But I love the fact that it does this. Or whatever you do, right? That's pretty much, that's a catch-all, right? That, that doesn't matter. Anything you do in life, anything that you do in life, do it all for the what? Glory of God. Do it all in worship. This is spoken over the early church in Corinth. That, that we take and we go, this applies to us as the church, 2017, Heights Church, Heights Family, whatever you do, we are to be worshipers of Almighty God. Whatever you do, you are to do for the glory of God. Wherever you are found, what you are to do is to make much of Him, no matter where it is, what it is. Because if the, the oceans roar your greatness, then so will I. That if the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. That if the stars were made to worship, then so will I. 
But there's another piece to this whole thing because going back to the miracle thing, that you're a miracle and the reason you're a miracle is you've been made to worship. God is speaking over you. There's a line at the end of this song that, and as you speak, as God speaks, a hundred billion failures disappear. Do you know that probably one of the biggest things that holds us back from worship is our own failures? I got good news for you. There's a God that went to a cross for you. And on that cross, he took every one of your failures on him. He took every single failure that you would ever come across. He took it on him. And the reason he took your failures is so he could speak over you. And as he speaks over you and he tells you the story of a cross where he took your failure, you get to walk away and your failures disappear because he took them. That you are free as you walk forward. And it says, as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Sorry, next one. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. You know the miracle that you are? You're alive in God. Here's what I mean. Sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you dead. Okay? The wages of sin are death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay? So, so sin has made you dead. Dead people, dead things cannot worship. And so the issue was that you were dead and God needed to make you alive. Why? Because only alive things can worship. And so he performed a miracle. He took you from death to life. Why? So that you could worship. Because you were made for it. You were designed for it. All of humanity, this whole thing, Revelation 4, has always been about the worship of God. And what we are going to do, church, in the next months, in the next years, is we are taking worship to places where worship doesn't exist. And we are going to ignite worshipers in that space. We're going to watch people go from death to life. Why? Because worship needs to exist because that's what this has always been about. That people would see God for who he is and they would worship him accordingly. Next line. I can see your heart in everything you've done. Every part designed, every part designed, and this is why we put love on one of the t-shirts. Because every part of God's whole story, this whole thing we've talked about, every part is designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. That's what this whole six weeks is about, church. That you would be able to declare from who you are, that God, if you chose surrender, then so do I. And by the way, surrender means that everything is put in his hands. My health, my family, my finances, my energy, my time, everything that I am is surrendered, is given. Why? Because that's what you did for me. So, so will I. Church, we're on mission. 
You have a mission. You have a purpose. You have meaning. And that is to put God on display. That if the stars were made to worship, so will I. Band, you can come on up. I can think of no better way to end than worship. And we're gonna, we're gonna end with, we're gonna end with starting very, very specifically with the lines that we were singing before I got up here. That if the stars are made to worship, so will I. That if the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. If everything exists to lift you high, so will I. And so if you would stand, we're gonna join as one voice and we're gonna begin this process. It's going to be a process over the next weeks to where we can declare, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. If you chose surrender, so will I. And so we'll start out with if the stars were made to worship, so will I.